You're listening to the seven-part sermon series, Burning Questions, taught by Pastor Ryan Couch at Calvary Chapel of Crook County. Over our seven-part series, we'll be providing biblical answers to your most asked questions. Let's join Pastor Ryan now. As you know, we are going through a seven-part series uh, called Burning Questions. Man, last week there was a great turnout. Maybe I ran a bunch of people off. Maybe this is just too intense, you know. I don't know, but uh, no, I'm glad you guys are here. Those of you that are here, I'm glad you're here. But uh, we're going to go over about seven questions. And this week, the question that we're going to look at is, uh, where did we get the Bible and is it reliable? Uh, very, I think, uh, you know, relevant question for all of us. One that you've probably been asked, one that maybe you've asked yourself Uh, One that certainly, as you talk to people about Jesus and about Christianity, they're going to ask you about the Bible. Because if you can undermine the Bible, you undermine the entirety of Christianity. And so we have to have a firm, what you might call apologetic, uh, a reason for why we believe in the Bible, why we put so much faith and trust in the Bible. And that's what we want to talk about tonight. Uh, last week we talked about uh, why God allows suffering into our life. And I've made the notes available there on the back table there. I see some of them have been taken. There's just a few left. If you'd like those, I can um, print more for you. Or what would be easier for me is if you give me your email, I'll email them to you. Uh, and I can do the same with tonight's notes as well. I wanted to have them available, printed off. Uh, But I didn't get to that, and I need to make some adjustments in these notes anyway. So if you'd like tonight's notes uh, as well, I can can email those to you, uh, or I'll make some available in the back uh, probably uh, tomorrow or toward the end of the week, and they'll be there for Sunday. So tonight we're going to talk about the reliability of the Bible and where the Bible originated from. I've got a stack of books here. This is not to intimidate you or to make you think that we are going to be reading all of these tonight. Uh, this is just some books that I, I've used in this study and some that if you're interested in studying this further on your own, these would be good books to get. This was a book I used last week uh, that I told you about, Tim Keller's The Reason for God. I, I encourage you to get that book. Uh, you can get it on Amazon or you can get it through Uh, the bookstore we have here. Um, Here's a few books that will be kind of, uh, that I used tonight and and that we'll be using some of the information from. Uh, Josh McDowell's uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Uh, It's a great book, one that that you might uh, consider getting. Another book is called The Battle for the Bible, um, Defending the Inerrancy or the Fact that the Bible's Without Errors, Defending the Inerrancy of Scripture, uh, by a guy named Harold Linzel. Uh, it actually was out of print, and Calvary Chapel just uh, reprinted it uh, themselves. It's got a foreword from Pastor Chuck in there. Um, it's kind of an old book that's just being reprinted uh, really solely because of Pastor, Pastor Chuck's love for that book. Another book, How We Got the Bible, by Neil Lightfoot, um, if you're interested in that. And then this is a real simple book that, that really uh, I used quite a bit tonight. And it's called What Everyone Needs to Know About the Bible by an apologist named Don Stewart. So uh, some books that, that you might 
uh, want to consider getting, and if you want to look at them further, I'll have them up here for you. Okay, where did we get the Bible, and how do we know it's reliable? I want to first talk about uh, where we got the Bible, and then we'll talk about how we know it's, it's reliable. Uh, the Bible, obviously, is broken up into two main sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, it's been broken up that way uh, since the, the early church and, and really since the, the writing of the New Testament. Now, of course, the Old Testament is not only held as Scripture by the church and by Christians... But it's also held as scripture by Jews. And it's held as their scripture uh, for thousands of years. The same books uh, have been considered to be their scriptures uh, for, you know, about 2,500 years since the last book of the Old Testament was written. There's really no question uh, in the Jews' mind uh, as to the reliability of the Old Testament, it's always been uh, venerated and, and held in esteem, and um, it's, it's something that they consider uh, very much reliable. And when the church was born, uh, they adopted the, the Old Testament, and then as the New Testament was written, uh, they began to add the New Testament uh, to the Scriptures as well. We do not have a lot of manuscript evidence for the Old Testament. And we're going to talk a little bit about manuscript evidence and, and the, just the overwhelming amount that we have for the New Testament. But for the Old Testament, we do not have a lot. And what I mean by manuscript evidence is ancient copies of the text in, in their original languages that, that, that we hold today in English. Now, some of you may, may ask, do we have any original copies, period? And, and the answer to that is no. We have no original copies of either the Old Testament or the New Testament simply for the fact that they were written on organic materials that have, have perished and they've rotted and, and no longer exist. And before the invention of the printing press in the 16th century, uh, most uh, original copies of any book in ancient history uh, are, are no longer in existence. It would almost be like a miracle uh, to have, you know, an original copy of, of any book uh, written on papyrus or on animal skin or, or things like that. Also, of the Old Testament, we don't have a whole lot of manuscript evidence, period, because the Jews were very, very strict about copying the, the scriptures, their, their Old Testament. Uh, when they did, when a, when a scroll would begin to wear out, they, they would copy it by hand, and then the old copy would be destroyed. Because they didn't want anybody to have to guess what might have been there, like if, if it started to erode or to fade they didn't want anybody to, to be questioning what was there and filling in the blank on their own. And so they would just destroy the original, and then they would have the copy. And when the copy was old, they would do the same thing. Therefore, we don't have a lot of ancient manuscripts of the Old Testament. At least we didn't 
until uh, the late 1940s when a young boy stumbled across a cave uh, near the Dead Sea. And maybe you're familiar with uh, what are called the Dead Sea Scrolls. And he found almost the entirety of the Bible, uh, except for a few books. He found the entirety of the book of Isaiah, which was the first of its kind. Before that, there had never been an entire uh, manuscript in one piece of Isaiah. And the interesting thing is that when they put the text, the manuscripts found in the Dead Sea caves there... Uh, the caves of of Qumran, when they put those up against what they had uh, previous to that, which those were much older, the ones that were found in the Dead Sea caves, uh, they they found that they were almost identical to the ones that we had uh, previous. The, the, The earliest manuscripts that we had of the Old Testament previous to the Dead Sea Scrolls were about they were dated around 1000 AD, so they were, you know, approximately a thousand years old. And they would have been about 1500 years from the last book of the Old Testament when it, when it was written. So there was a 1500 year time gap between when the last book of the Old Testament was written and when the first manuscript, the oldest manuscript that we had available. That's quite a large time gap. And it was concerning uh, to many scholars. But with the the findings in the the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, they were dated all the way back to uh, probably 100 to 200 B.C. And so they were 11 or 1,200 years older than the oldest manuscripts we had at the time, and they, there is only about a 300-year time gap from when the last book of the Old Testament was written until the date of these manuscripts. And so it, it shows the accuracy of the Old Testament because here were all of these ancient manuscripts that lined up exactly with what had been used up until that time. And so it showed a, a continuity that here were manuscripts that were a thousand years uh, in age difference. There was a thousand years age difference between them, and yet they were identical almost in, in their text. And so that shows um, reliability. When, when you're talking about uh, the reliability of an ancient text, that's... Uh, the, the two things that, that you really look at. The number of manuscripts and then also the consistency between manuscripts. If you have a whole bunch of differences between the manuscripts, then it shows that there was not continuity in, in the original. And, and it shows that there was a lot of questions as to what was really written. And, and we'll talk a little bit uh, more about that. And so that's the Old Testament, and, and I'm really not going to talk a whole lot about the Old Testament tonight. Other than, other than that, we're going to talk mainly about the New Testament because that's where we have an overwhelming uh, amount of support uh, and evidence for. Um, but I did want to talk about where we got the Bible, and as far as the Old Testament's concerned, of course, we sort of inherited that from, from the Jews. 
And, and we've, we've now seen that the New Testament is the completion of the Old. And, and that without um, one or the other, they don't make sense. The Old Testament is sort of empty without the New. And the New Testament is confusing without the Old. And, and so that's why we uh, consider it to be the Word of God. It was, it was handed down uh, from uh, the, Ju- the Jewish people. And of course, the Old Testament claims to be the Word of God. Th- throughout the Old Testament, we find claims as, Thus saith the Lord. And these are the words of God. And throughout the Old Testament, uh, we hear that. Now, where did we get the New Testament? Of course... They were written by uh, the early followers of Jesus. Some uh, were apostles. Some were uh, early converts to Christianity, such as the Apostle Paul. Uh, The entirety of the New Testament was written uh, before the turn of the first century. And most of the Gospels, if not all of the Gospels... Uh, were written within 30 years of Jesus' death and resurrection. And so that's a big deal. Because, and we'll talk about that when we talk about the reliability of the Bible, but there was a very short time gap between the time of the events and, and when they were written. A very short time gap. Of course, they weren't immediately recognized as the Word of God. Uh, when Paul wrote to the Ephesians, they, they didn't immediately recognize this as Scripture. I don't know that Paul knew for sure that he was writing Scripture. That was to, to be eternal, that was to be handed down and to be the Word of God for 2,000 years after his death. But as time progressed... And as the church began to realize that they needed to have a codified uh, sort of set list of books that were considered to be the Word of God, they, they began to um, say yes to certain books and, and no to others. And there were tests that they would use uh, in order to determine that. And one of the tests that they would use was was it consistent? Was it reliable? Were the facts accurate? And as, as they would look at it, of course, they recognized the accuracy of the facts because the early church, by and large, were eyewitnesses to the events. And so as Mark or Matthew are writing the Gospels, they, they could very easily attest to the accuracy of the events. They would also look for apostolic authority. And not that it had to be written by an apostle, but it had to be, an, it had to be approved by an apostle. And so that's why all of the books were written previous to uh, John's death. He was the last apostle alive. He died around uh, 100 A.D. And all of the books that we consider to be the New Testament, the 27 books of the New Testament, 
had that apostolic authority. They were recognized as authoritative by the apostles. And really the the New Testament did not become canonized or recognized as the 27 books that we hold today as being the word of God until about the 3rd century or the 4th century uh, A.D., so about 300 years uh, after Christ, uh, they, they, they codified, they, they had a council, uh, and they, they determined that these 27 books were the Word of God as they placed them under these tests for accuracy, for apostolic authority, for claims of being the Word of God. And, and this is what they used to sort of determine that. And, and this is what the, the very books that we hold today uh, because the early church recognized them as the word of God. And, and it wasn't that it took them three or four hundred years. It, it was really sort of a, a process. But all of the 27 books that we hold to be the New Testament today were quoted frequently by uh, the early church fathers. And in fact, uh, if you read the ancient books written by early church authors and writers, uh, you can actually just about formulate the entire New Testament from their quotes alone. And they didn't quote some of these other books like they did the, the 27 books that we call the New Testament. And so that's how we received the Bible. Of course, they were written by, by men, inspired by God, the Bible tells us. And they were handed down to us, um, recognized as the Word of God. And so that's where we got the Bible. Um, but how do we know it's reliable? Just because we have it and people recognize these books as being the Word of God, obviously that does not make it the Word of God, nor does it make it accurate or reliable. And when speaking of God revealing Himself to man through His Word, which is what the Bible is, it's God revealing Himself to mankind. There's two types of revelation of God. There's general revelation, which is his creation. And it's available to every single person on the planet, whether they ever open a Bible or not. It's the general revelation of God. And Romans chapter 1 talks about that. That you look outside and, and you look at the amazing creation. It speaks of of God. And that's why man is without excuse, the Bible says. That's general revelation. Some consider our conscience to also be part of that general revelation. Do you know how it seems that every person has sort of this innate sense of right and wrong, sort of an innate sense even of the existence of God, whether they want to deny it or not? And that's why every people group on the planet has what they call, uh, you know, the supreme being. Even people groups that worship multiple gods, 
such as Native Americans. They have a supreme, the chief spirit, the great spirit, that they recognize as the creator. And every religion has that. And that's because I believe that God has planted within each person sort of an innate sense, a conscience of his presence and of morality. Now, we can suppress that conscience to the point where we don't even recognize it at all. But I think it's there, and that's part of general revelation. But then there's what's called special revelation. Prophecy is included in that. Miracles. Jesus himself as the express image of God, as he revealed God to us. And clearly the Bible are what we would call special revelation. It's God's revelation of himself to man. Now, is God limited to the Bible in who he is? Absolutely not. You could not contain God in any book. But God has chosen to reveal certain things about himself and everything that we need to know. See, there's the key. Everything that we need to know about God is found in his word. Special revelation. And as we talk about God revealing himself to us, as we understand and we believe that this book, the Bible, is God's revelation of himself to man, and that everything we need to know about God and salvation is found here, then it better be reliable and trustworthy, right? Because if it isn't, we've got a problem. And so this is paramount to our faith, the reliability of the Bible. Often we hear skeptics claim that the Bible has been copied so many times that what we possess today is completely different from the original. Have you guys heard that before? That the, the translations that we have today are nowhere near the original copies. Skeptics also say the Bible is filled with historical errors and that it contradicts itself. You talk to people about the Bible and they'll say, well, the Bible's filled with errors. The Bible has all kinds of contradictions. And I love to say to people, really, where are, can you show them to me? Well, I, I don't exactly know where, but I know they're there, is what people will often say. And so in order to, to really quiet the skeptics, we, we need to apply really a, a threefold test that's used to prove the validity of any writings of antiquity. And the reason for this is because they did not have the opportunity to take a copy and to, to Xerox thousands of copies to prove that the original or that the copies are accurate to the original. So anything that's older than the printing press, anything that's 500 years or older, has to go through this test, this threefold test. First of all, it goes through the biographical test. And this is a 
It's a confirmation of the historical text. Since we do not possess the, the original manuscripts of the Old or the New Testament, we must test the copies that we do possess to see if they are accurate or if they've been corrupted over time. Part of the biographical test that we would apply, and, and we're going to do this to the New Testament uh, tonight and, and not the Old, as I said. But when you, when you look at the overwhelming evidence that we have for the New Testament, it, it's absolutely staggering. In looking at manuscript evidence, the first thing that we notice about the Bible is the sheer number of what is called extant or available manuscripts. The sheer number. There are in existence today in different museums uh, around the world. Uh, Great Britain has, um, has the, uh, the Codex Sinaiticus, which is the entirety of the Old and New Testament. Uh, it, it's, it's one of the only ancient manuscripts that ha- that's in, in its entirety. But they're, they're around the world. We, we have some uh, here in the United States uh, and, and in the Middle East. There, there are places that have them as well. There are in existence 24,000 whole and partial manuscripts of the New Testament. 24,000. Any objective person, if, if you truly look at the facts objectively, that number alone proves the Bible to be different than any other book ever written. Just the sheer number of available manuscripts that we have. 24,000. It's the most copied book of the ancient world. Of course, we know that it's the most copied book and printed book ever. Billions of copies of the Bible. Millions upon millions are copied every year. Thousands every day. It's the best-selling book every year. It has been since they began keeping track of that sort of thing. It's translated into thousands of languages and continues to be translated. I can't remember what the year was, but sometime in the early 1900s, there were at one time over 4,000 people who were employed translating the Bible into different languages. Just that 4,000 people doing that. I mean, that's incredible. 24,000 whole and partial manuscripts of the New Testament. If you look at the next closest book in terms of numbers of manuscripts that are available, the next closest book of antiquity, it's Homer's Iliad, which has only 643 surviving manuscripts. And that's the next closest Which is really interesting because very few people question the accuracy or the reliability of Homer's Iliad. With only 643 available manuscripts. Where the Bible has 24,000 available manuscripts. For us to look at and compare to what we have today and to say they are beside a few little differences here and there 
of maybe an article that's missing or changed, a, a slip of the pen here and there, so minuscule that it's really not even worth the time talking about. You're talking about over 23,000 more manuscript pieces and whole in existence today than the next closest of the Homer's Iliad. As I said, the writings of the church fathers, the early church fathers, uh, Sir David... Uh, somebody who has a really weird name, David Dalrymple, he, he said this, even if we lack the manuscript evidence uh, in the new, that the New Testament has, it would be preserved in the writings of the early church fathers. And this is what he said, as I possessed all the existing works of the fathers of the second and third centuries, I commenced to search and up to this time I have found the entire New Testament except for 11 verses. So the entire New Testament is preserved within writings of the early church fathers except for 11 verses. That's amazing. There's something special about a book that is quoted that often. The time gap between the original and the copies is another part of this biographical test that we apply to, to help us to assure the reliability of, of the New Testament or of any book of antiquity. The, the time between the copies that we have and the originals. The longer the time period, the greater propensity for error. Makes sense, right? The longer the time period between the original and the copy that you have, the greater amount of opportunity for error to have crept in there and for people to not be able to correct it because they're long dead. The New Testament was composed between the years 40 AD, the Gospel of Mark, and 100 AD, the book of Revelation. The earliest known complete manuscript of the New Testament is dated to the 4th century. So you have a time gap of about 300 years between when the last book of the New Testament, Revelation, was written and the earliest known copy of the entirety of the New Testament that we have. About 300 years. This seems like a long time until, again, you consider Homer's Iliad, which has a time gap of 500 years. Caesar's writings have a time gap of 1,000 years, and other ancient writings have time gaps of 1,300 plus years. So when you look at the sheer number of ancient manuscripts and the short amount of time between the originals and the copies, the accuracy of the New Testament is virtually assured. One scholar has calculated that of the 20,000 lines of the New Testament, only about 40 lines or 400 words are seriously disputed by textual critics. 
In other words, that there's some discrepancy between the the text that we have available and, and what we read in front of us. 400 words out of the entirety of the New Testament. And you guys, you've got to remember how these things were copied. They were copied by hand. On parchment and papyrus. Painstakingly written by hand. If you've ever copied anything by hand, you know how easy it is to make a mistake, right? To skip an article, to to get words transposed. And so there are some of those kinds of errors in some of the copies of the New Testament. But you would think in 20,000 lines written by hand, that 400 words really is not a big deal. And they're not important verses. It's not like that, you know, they're messing up John 3.16, for God so loved the world, and, and there's other ver, uh, manuscripts that say, for God hated the world, and, you know, that there's some major kind of discrepancy. It's like there's an A missing out of a sentence. There's a the that's misplaced. Words maybe are transposed, and we're only talking about 400 words. It's so minuscule that it isn't even worth the time. It's, it's important that we realize that the great majority of these disputed portions of the New Testament consist of trivial differences in spelling or style, and not one of them affects a fundamental doctrine of the Christian faith. So that is what's called the biographical test that is applied to all books of antiquity. There's another test that's called the internal test. Although the biographical test can affirm to us that the Bible we are holding today is consistent with the original writings, we must prove that those original writings were reliable. You following me? We know that they're consistent with the original by the, the sheer amount of evidence that we've discussed. But that doesn't make it the Word of God. Nor does it make it reliable in the first place. We must prove that these original writings were reliable. In fact, we believe, you should believe, that those original writings were inspired by God. That they were written by men who were inspired by the Holy Spirit, or as the Bible tells us, they were God-breathed. So as Paul sat there, I don't know what he had, an office, a, a desk, I have no idea. As Paul sat there and he spoke to a person that wrote for him. Remember how Paul said he had horrible handwriting? He didn't do a lot of his own writing. Especially when you consider that they're writing these things on scrolls and, you know, organic materials that were really hard to come by and expensive. You didn't want to waste them. It wasn't like paper that you crinkle up and throw in the basket. And so Paul would hire someone who who was an expert transcriptionist. A secretary, if you will. 
And he would speak and they would write. And he, he would say, okay, I, I want to write a letter to the churches of Galatia. And he would say, you know, Paul, an apostle, by the will of God. And he would use what was a standard greeting. And they would also use their own personality. We can clearly see Paul's personality in his writings, and we can see John's personality in his writings. We can see that Luke was very educated. Luke used uh, a much more technical Greek. He used larger words. Luke was a doctor. He was educated. John was a fisherman. John's writing is very simple. His, his writing is, is just very down-to-earth and written in very plain language. Paul's writing is very brilliant. It's considered to be some of the most brilliant pieces of literature in, in history. Paul was a brilliant man. He was educated by some of the greatest teachers of the day. Luke was a doctor. He wrote with his personality. John was a fisherman. He was from Galilee. Kind of a hick town. Hick area up there. He was a cowboy. And he, he wrote with that kind of a style. And so even though they were inspired by God, they were still using their personalities. Which I think is really cool as we use gifts given to us by God. But God uses them through our own personality. God uses a human instrument and he allows that human instrument to, to work within its personality. And so the, the word of God, we believe, is inspired. The Bible is inspired by God. And so we, we need to, to be able to prove that with its reliability. Because it doesn't do us any good to have accurate copies of a book that are erroneous. So that takes us to what's called the internal test. This test evaluates what the Bible says about itself to determine if it is internally consistent. In other words, does it contradict itself in any way? Well, you look at the New Testament authors. Were they reliable? Well, they were eyewitnesses to their writings, so that helps. They were not writing about things that they were removed from or had nothing to do with. They were men who talked and walked with Jesus. And even if they weren't eyewitnesses, they gleaned and were given information from eyewitnesses. You take Mark's gospel, for instance. Mark was not an apostle. He was not an eyewitness to much of what he wrote. But Mark was a close friend of Peter. And most scholars believe that Mark's gospel is really written through the lens of Peter. Luke, again, not an eyewitness to many of the accounts in the gospels. Luke came to Christ later. He was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. He wrote the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Luke gleaned much of the information he has that he wrote in his gospel from Mary, the mother of Jesus. And, and from many others that he um, interviewed. 
So these were men that were eyewitnesses or gleaned from eyewitnesses of the accounts. As we talked about, the entirety of the New Testament was written within 70 years of Jesus' death. And much of it was written within 30 years. All of Paul's writings were written within 30 years of Jesus' death. And so Paul writes much of the doctrine that we hold to today. Much of the doctrine. I mean, Paul wrote almost half of the New Testament. And much of the doctrine that we hold today as true was written by the Apostle Paul. Now, here's Paul. He's writing about Jesus. He's writing about his deity. He's writing about his death. And that it's the only... Payment for our sin. He's writing about all of these these truths and these doctrines. 25, 30 years after the time of Christ. Most of the apostles are still alive. If these things weren't true, do you think they would have looked Paul up? To say, hey Paul. I mean, we're really glad you're writing about Jesus and everything. He was a dear friend of ours, and we traveled with him for three years. But hey, he never claimed to be God. What are you doing here? His death was not payment for our sin. Do you see how easily it would have been to question the writings of Paul? They were so close to the events themselves. The same with the Gospels. As the gospel writers wrote about Jesus, there were people who were not necessarily apostles, but were eyewitnesses of much of his life. His brothers, his family, the people he grew up with, the religious leaders who put him to death. Do you think that they wanted these writings out there? Absolutely not. But they couldn't fight it because of its truthfulness. So the authors of the New Testament were reliable. They were writing about things that they were personally attached to. Were they sincere, however? Maybe, as skeptics claim... Maybe they had an agenda. Maybe the New Testament authors just so desperately wanted to formulate a religion of their own that they set out to start Christianity. And they were going to take over the world. Maybe that's not something you hear every day, but that is a very scholarly skepticism of the Bible. That, that maybe the, the authors of the New Testament had an agenda. Even with the resurrection, skeptics will say that the, the apostles snuck into the cave, they stole Jesus' body, and they hid it somewhere so that everybody would think that he rose from the grave as he prophesied. And there's major problems with that. But were they sincere? Well, the New Testament authors were writing to people who could have easily refuted their stories if they were not true, as I said. 
as we talked about, each author writes with his own style. Do you think that if you were setting out to create some false religion, that when you wrote about Jesus' life and there were four different books, that you would allow for any sort of discrepancy at all? You would make them mere images. And yet when we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we find four different perspectives about the same thing. Almost as if they didn't consult each other at all. They just wrote what they saw through their own eyes or through the eyes of those they interviewed. And they often would write about the same event, but they would have a different perspective. Not different as in contradictory, but different as in, I saw it from a different angle. You know what I mean? When you talk to somebody about a trip, such as family camp this weekend, if you talk to me about it, I might give you a perspective that Kevin wouldn't, or that Blaine wouldn't, or that somebody else that was there wouldn't, and vice versa. They would give you different information. I might leave out the fact that I couldn't get up on the wakeboard, but somebody else might talk about it, right? doesn't mean it didn't happen just because I don't talk about it. It just means that I didn't focus on that. What I might focus on is, you know, the time that I spiked the volleyball on Chad's head. I mean, I might, you know, kind of make those kinds of references, you know, and, and others might talk about things that, that I may want to leave out. And that's exactly what happened when you look at the New Testament and you look at the Gospels in particular. Each author writes with his own style. If you were colluding together to, to sort of, you know, write something that was totally erroneous and fake, you would all get together and you'd want to make sure there were no errors and no discrepancies and no differences, and they didn't do that. The authors alluded to many historical figures, places, events, and dates which can easily be verified and could easily point out their lies if indeed that's what they were doing. Why place yourself in such a historical maze if you're telling a lie? You understand what I mean? If you're telling a lie, why add all of these details? You're going to want to keep it real, real general. Because, well, I'm not sure if that's exactly where we were or if that's exactly what was there. Take the Book of Mormon, for example. The Book of Mormon is so filled with historical errors. So filled with places that don't exist. With languages that have never been verified. With currencies that have never been proven in history or archaeology. Landmarks that apparently disappeared. All of these things that they say exist, 
never did, or at least have never been proven to. But when you look at the Bible, not everything in the Bible has been proven. But there's nothing in the Bible that's been disproven. In fact, for a couple thousand years, the existence of Pontius Pilate was held in, with great skepticism. And, and then uh, an archaeologist digging there in Jerusalem uh, found a plate that looked like it would have been a sign that, that said Pontius Pilate, uh, you know, basically the governor of, of Israel, basically is what it said. He, he was a Roman governor placed in charge of, of Israel. And, and for whatever reason, historically, they, they didn't find a lot of verification of that. And so skeptics said, see, look, the Bible is wrong here. Pontius Pilate never existed. And then they found that. And there's been countless things like that. The Bible has not been proven in everything that it's ever said. There are still question marks about some things. However, nothing has ever been disproven. And on a yearly basis, they're continually proving the Bible to be reliable. Continually finding things that they didn't think existed. For centuries, the Bible was used as the sole book of history and science. And, and it, it's never been proven to be anything but completely accurate and reliable. When you talk about the authors, you also have to remember the fact that each of the apostles and authors of the New Testament, except John, died for their faith. These men, who were perfectly sane, would not die for a lie. Nobody will die for something that isn't true. If they had just colluded together to formulate this religion, to take over the world or whatever they wanted to do, once a sword was held to their throat, they would have been doing some talking. And yet, they all were willing to die for what they knew to be true. The content of the scriptures has never been proven to be anything but consistent. Many claim that the Bible is full of errors and contradictions. And yet, as I said, if you ask them to find them, they can't. Because the fact of the matter is that these alleged discrepancies all have logical explanations if the skeptic would truly look at the Bible objectively. And there again, none of these issues change the theme or major teachings of the Bible. When you look at any other book, any other writings of antiquity, do you know that, that they've had to piece together with different manuscripts and come to a logical conclusion about what it actually said, such as Shakespeare's writings, which were written in the 16th century? Not that long ago. 
in regard to all of history. And yet, the manuscript evidence is so poor, even though the printing press existed at that time. It's so poor that they've had to piece together different copies and portions that they have, and all of the plays of Shakespeare that that we know and love today, uh, many of them have had to be bridged together in order to to make logical conclusions. Nobody seems to question anything. Nobody ever says, well, we're really not sure if that's what Shakespeare actually wrote. But why do we do that, or why do skeptics do that with the Bible? When we don't have to do that at all with the Bible, we have whole manuscripts of the Bible. We don't have to to insert words at all. And yet, well, the Bible is filled with contradictions. The Bible is filled with errors. The, The Bible has been mistranslated. And see, when people say these things to you, you need to be able to, to ask them where, how. Please inform me because what you're saying does not line up with the facts. Okay, quickly, the last test is the external test. We found that the biographical test shows that the copies are accurate to the originals. The internal test that the authors of the Bible, or at least the New Testament in this case are reliable. We've proven that. The external test. This test seeks to find outside sources. The internal test is the inside sources, the writers. The external test seeks to find outside sources that can substantiate what the particular document teaches or records. In other words, is the Bible consistent with history and science? And do outside sources confirm the biblical record? The answer is a resounding yes. Josephus, the first century historian, who was captured by the Romans during uh, the war there when Jerusalem was ransacked and burned to the ground under the general Titus in AD 70. It's when the temple was destroyed and it's never been rebuilt again. Now Jerusalem has since been destroyed and rebuilt and destroyed. But the temple in AD 70 was destroyed. It was never rebuilt again. Josephus was a Jewish historian. His job was to record the history of the Jews. Well they found him. The Romans found him. They, they found that he was a historian. And being absolutely enamored with history, the the Romans were. Being enamored with history, they didn't kill Josephus, but instead allowed him to live as a slave to record Jewish history. He was not a believer. He had no affinity for Jesus Christ. He was a Jew. And in fact probably would have loved to have disproved Jesus. This first century historian, Josephus, completely validates the entire Old Testament 
and gives reference to many New Testament events, including the crucifixion, the resurrection of Christ, the death of John the Baptist, the rule of Pontius Pilate, James the half-brother of Jesus, and much more. Furthermore, the Bible has been proven time and again by outside sources such as archaeology, ancient history, science, and fulfilled prophecy. Um, when I went to Israel uh, in 2001, we, we learned that the Bible is used as a historical textbook in Israeli schoolrooms uh, throughout that country. And so when you look at these things, when you look, and we don't have time to go into all the external evidence. It's huge. Archaeology, science. For thousands of years, or at least for quite a number of years, hundreds of years, scientists believed the earth was flat, right? Remember Christopher Columbus? They told him, be careful, you might sail right off the end of the earth. But if they had just opened up their Bible to the book of Isaiah, they would have seen that the Bible says the earth was round, that it was a sphere. And, and things like that throughout the Bible. The Bible talks about the earth rotating on its axis. The Bible talks about the earth rotating around the sun. The Bible talks about the innumerable amount of stars and now... Scientists and astronomers have confirmed that the stars are innumerable. For many, many years, they assumed that it was just the stars that we could see here on the earth. And, and they had names for them and, and they, they, they knew how many they were. But then they began to find that the, the universe just keeps going and going and going. And the Bible speaks of that. And it seems interesting to me that no one is attacking the validity of the Iliad or Caesar's writings or Shakespeare. And yet the Bible is constantly analyzed and scrutinized. There is no other book in history that has been scrutinized like the Bible. Why is that? Because if the Bible is true, you guys then we have to change the way we live. If the Bible's true, it will revolutionize your life, and so nobody wants to believe the Bible is true. So skeptics attack the Bible, hoping to find something that will cast a dark cloud over its pages and make it go away so they don't have to deal with the truth of its content. But the Bible isn't going away. As we talked about, it's the most copied and translated book in human history. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us that having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower fades but the word of the Lord endures forever. And, and we've seen that to be true, haven't we? So much of what mankind thought was true has faded away. And yet the word of God, 
written by over 40 different people on three different continents, Asia, Europe, and Africa. Over a, about 1,500 year time span. Think about 1,500 years. And think about if you were to write a book about a topic today and then compare that with a book written 1,500 years ago on a similar topic. Do you think that there might be some major discrepancies with the perspective that you have today as opposed to someone who lived 1,500 years ago in the Dark Ages, in the Middle Ages? The Bible was written by 40 different people on three different continents over a 1,500-year time span on really a variety of topics, certainly, but one major theme. Written by people from all walks of life. Political rulers, farmers, fishermen, tax collectors. Think about that even today. If you were to get 40 people to write about a common theme, people from different places in the world, from different backgrounds and economic places in life, do you think there would be any consistency at all? And yet the Bible, with all of those opportunities to just be riddled with divergent opinions and contradictions and discrepancies, and yet there's not one And throughout, the Bible maintains a consistent theme pointing to Jesus Christ as the Redeemer of mankind. The Bible tells us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, that is God-breathed, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3.16 And so as we've talked about all of this stuff, and it's a lot of information, and I I know that uh, we're, we're a little bit over already. We could continue to talk about this really ad nauseum. Where did we get the Bible, and is it reliable? And we found that the answer to the fact, to the question, is it reliable, is is absolutely yes. If you want to compare it to any other book of antiquity, the Bible blows them away with its reliability. It, It passes those tests with flying colors. And so what's our response to it? Well, Jeremiah says, your words were found and I did eat them. And they were to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. You guys, when you look at what we hold today, which by the way, I mean, we're so blessed that we just have this one book that contains 
all the scriptures. I mean, some of us have these, you know, little Bibles. I've got several of them. I mean, when, when Paul was reading the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah was about 20 feet long to roll out that scroll alone. We're so blessed that we can read the entirety of God's Word right here. So convenient, so easy. Not lugging around stones and pieces of wood and animal skins and papyrus. And Jeremiah said, your words were found and I did eat them. He consumed God's Word. They were the joy and the rejoicing of his heart. Paul told the Colossians, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Guys, as we talk about the reliability of the scriptures, that's what it should point us to. Is a dependence upon God's word, is a love for God's word, is a hunger for God's word. Certainly, yes, what I've talked about tonight should give you a good apologetic for the reliability of the Bible. Hopefully, if you encounter somebody that asks you those kinds of questions, you will be able to give them some answer. And, and like I said, I've got these books I can point you to. I'll have my notes available. Hopefully, uh, that will help. But that's not what it's all about. It's not about a bunch of knowledge and, and information. You guys, what I want for you is to have a genuine love for God's Word. That's why we go through the Word of God. Book by book and chapter by chapter and verse by verse because we believe that every Word of God that we find in what we call the Bible is important. We believe in verbal plenary inspiration. That means that every word in the Bible is inspired by God. That we don't get to choose what's inspired or what isn't or what's important or what isn't. And so we're not going to say, well, you know, we're going to skip stuff that we don't deem important. Or I'm just going to teach particular topics that I really love and appreciate and think are important. And I'm going to formulate my own theology for those topics by pulling scriptures from here and there to substantiate what I believe. No, what I would rather do, you guys, is to open the Word of God for you, to teach the Word of God, and let you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, formulate your own theology as it comes from the Word and as it just spills out before you. And so, is the Bible reliable? I hope that you would say yes. Um, I, I wish I could have given you more. I wish I could have done a better job. I, I, I don't consider myself to be uh, any kind of a theologian or scholar, but uh, hopefully you, you gleaned some things uh, from this tonight. Uh, why don't we stand and pray together, you guys? Appreciate you uh, bearing with me tonight. I know it was a lot of information. I hope uh, that you were blessed and and that it helped you out a little bit. Father, we, we thank you for this time tonight, Lord. A little different, a um, little more information, a little, little more technical side of things. God, I pray that, that we've been encouraged, Lord, that we've been edified 
as we've talked about your word. Lord, my heart is that we would fall in love with your word. That, God, it would be the joy and rejoicing of our heart. And, Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us in such an amazing way. As we open your word, Lord, I pray pray that each of us here would become more disciplined in our time in your word. God, and maybe even discipline isn't the right word, Lord. That we would just, just long to get into your word and hear from you. That, God, it wouldn't be drudgery. That it would be a privilege. And that we would allow your word to dwell in us. God, to be the joy and rejoicing of our heart. God, bless each one that's here. Lord, continue to to have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.